Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? That wasn't very enthusiastic, not for what we called for. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Thank you very much. And so today we will finish up our section through the letters to the Corinthians. Um, as we know, as we've been through the entire New Testament together so far together, um, the, letter, the relationship with Paul and the church in Corinth uh, is complicated. Uh, we know that there's at least four letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth. One referred to in 1 Corinthians that we don't have. First uh, Corinthians itself, one referred to in Second Corinthians that we don't have. It's the one that we really like to see what he wrote because it's the one that was very harsh. That it almost seems like he had a, don't know if regret is the right word, but a sorrowful note when he wrote it. And then Second Corinthians that we're in now. And I mentioned last week that I am thankful for dysfunctional churches because if we didn't have this dysfunctional church there in Corinth we wouldn't have some of the lovely words of scripture that we find uh, in the letters today. But we know that as that harsh letter went out, he used uh, his servant Titus, or his co-worker Titus, to deliver it. Titus kind of acted as an apostle, uh, a sent one on Paul's behalf with this church. He, he was an ambassador, is probably the better term that you would have used. And he is very important with the relationship between Paul and this church. We know last week that there was a, a situation that Paul went to Corinth to address, and it got so bitter that instead of continuing the fight, he withdrew and sent this severe letter that we referred to in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that we don't actually have. Um, and now this letter is after a response where Titus returns from delivering that sorrowful letter, which brought many in the church to repentance and to bring more of a favorable relationship between Paul and the church again. And so this letter has a little more upbeat tone. It's also addressing some of the problems that they have, reinforcing uh, why Paul was sent to them in the first place, but centers completely on the work of Christ and not the work of the flesh in this world. And so when we get to chapter 8, uh, Paul is reminding them of a previous commitment that the Corinthians had made before all this stuff took place. And he's sending Titus again as an ambassador uh, so that they may fulfill their promise. And it was for a gift for those suffering in Jerusalem. And as you will see here, Paul uses, uh, well, everything at his disposal to remind them of the faith and to give us a lesson on what it means to be a cheerful giver. Uh, and so today, let's look at this first uh, part of chapter 8. And this actually goes into chapter 9, but we won't go that far. We'll reference some of it. But in chapter 8, we find this. Paul again writing to the Corinthians. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among you, among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then accordingly the will of God to us, 
Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, uh, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through his rich yet, though, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever uh, gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so this is the argument that Paul uses, or encouragement might be a better word that Paul uses for the Corinthians to return to a promise, a desire that they earnestly felt back in those days that Paul was among them before all this conflict took place. Conflict in a church is not a new thing, is it? Conflict in our town and churches is not a new thing. It's been going on since the, the Bible's pages were written down in the first place. And so we are giving this as a testimony on how to live as Christians in a world that is divided between the dark and the light. For as we read these words, we realize that even though that we are regenerate, even though that we are born again and that we may have felt the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is an ever pull between our life of the flesh that was before Christ and our spiritual life in the spirit that is an ever-present reality. We are constantly pulled between the two, and sometimes when we're not rooted deep enough in our faith, we are easily swayed. Later, he will refer to the cunningness of Satan in the garden and how he deceived Eve into taking that forbidden fruit. Satan is ever real presence in our life. He constantly wants to just shift us so slightly. He doesn't want to necessarily alter us completely. He just wants us to head in a direction other than what God would have us to do. And that is the will of God for our life. Each and every one of us has been gifted We've been gifted differently with different talents, with different resources, but we are all called as one body. We are called to come together so that God's will may be done in this place that we call home. And this is what Paul is doing. He is writing to the Corinthians in a way so that he is reminding them where their faith was flourishing. He's reminding them of a past when they were on fire for God. I mean, truly alive with the Spirit. But as anyone ever knows, even as those who, who are getting ready to go off and camp, I went to many youth camp in my day. I remember there are special occasions to where your heart just yearns to do God's will for your life. 
where you're just ready to knock down doors and do whatever it takes, willing to be thrown in handcuffs, whatever the call may be for the moment, for the spirit. But any, any one of us who have experienced those mountaintop joys of excitement and, and somewhat painful times because it, it exposes the darkness in our own heart, we know that once we are away from those experiences, as time goes, that when you're on the top, there's only one place to go but down. Do you know how hard it is to stay on that mountaintop? As soon as we get there, we become targets of the evil one who is ready to shift us away so that we may fall from this grace. And this is a situation in which the Corinthians found themselves in, that they had those mountaintop experiences, but the, the troubles of this world, others uh, who had sought authority and power and earthly gain, came in and disrupted their call and put seeds of doubts between them and their relationship with Paul. And through intervening of the Spirit and through the guiding of the words of these scriptures, the two became one again. And through Titus, he sent his ambassador to speak, and a relationship was rebuilt. And so now he takes the time to remind them that their faith is not just for them and them alone. Sometimes we forget that today as a church. We gather together. We, we, we look at our finances, we do budgets, we do all this, and sometimes we fail to look outside the doors. For God called us for a reason to assemble in this place, but it wasn't for this one place only. And we've had some successful years. This summer, our attendance may show us that it's not quite as promising as we've had in years past. And we have some that are just desperately trying to save a crop or these kind of businesses. But we have been given things that others haven't. We have been blessed where others haven't. So let's look at the method that Paul uses to, to encourage the Corinthians to be generous in the faith, to be generous with their resource. First, he gives them exemplars of grace. The churches of Macedonia. Now these churches, I don't imagine they were too high on the totem pole far as wealth because it seems like their generosity took Paul by surprise did you catch that when their gift came he didn't really even ask for it but they caught wind of the fire of the spirit and they were led by their own accord to give out of what they had it may not have been a lot Jesus refers to the widow who gave her might at the temple that day. For Paul refers to your abundance differently. It's not about what you don't have. Because we can look out with wanting eyes and we can see all the things that our neighbors have and we want those things. It's not about what we don't have. It's about what we do have. It is about the resources that God has given us. But did you see the order of the Macedonians? It said, first, they gave to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord first. If your heart is unwilling to reach for your pocketbook, have you first considered that it is not my heart that's the problem, but it is my relationship with the Lord? 
And so those Macedonians, who may not have had a lot of resources to speak of, they gave themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. And in doing so, it eased their burden, and it even laid on their hearts for those who were worse off than them. Because I guarantee you, if you live in the United States today, and you look at our globe, there is somebody worse off than you are. There are people who would risk life and limb to come to this country. They are worse off than you are. There are people that will risk everything to be here. They are worse off than you are. No matter what your political bent on what we do at the border is this, there are places worse off than we are. That is why coming here is so attractive. So if you are a resident of this country, you have been materially blessed in the world's eyes. You may not have everything you want. You may look across the road and see that brand new suburban sitting there. Or you may look down the street and see all, all those shiny houses with the fresh coat of paint and all that kind of stuff. And yours, the one that you dwell in is a little run down. But if you look at the cosmic perspective of what God has given you, you are more blessed than anyone else. Because if you have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you have materially. You are already far beyond what this world has to offer. And those Corinthians were blessed with both. They were blessed with the gospel message that had taken root in their hometown. And they were also blessed with the material resources that they may have to share with others. And so Paul first calls out an example. He calls out those Macedonian church who were probably known to be impoverished. And he sees what they were doing. Out of their relationship with Christ, by the will of God, they were called to be generous. They were called to give out of their talents. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Because I earnestly tell you that if you give yourself first to the Lord, everything else comes easily. Today, if you have a hard time just even giving a few bucks to the offering plate as it comes by, maybe that's not what your problem is. It might not be the fact that you're not a generous giver. It may be that you have a heart problem with your relationship with the Lord, much like these Corinthians had before. That these others that had come in and that had stirred the pot and had claimed authority and who put Paul down, maybe it was for those resources you've never heard of a snake oil salesman coming to a poor town, have you? They come to people who can pay. They come to people who have resources that they can swindle away. And so for this fledgling church, there were those who would come in to claim those resources for themselves. But as Paul would remind them, I never once asked for money from you. For he was called to evangelize this church in Corinth, not to take their money. And this offering that they are collecting was not for his behalf it was for those who were suffering in Jerusalem because of a great famine that had ripped the land and did you notice that he says in verse 13 he says for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but that as a matter of fairness your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness if they are broke because of famine, if they can barely find bread to put on the table, what is he talking about their abundance? Their whole life was rooted in the story of God. Their whole life was around the Torah and the teachings. They were 
they were told to teach their children the way of God. And those who became these early Christians in Jerusalem were first Jewish people by heritage. Their whole culture was based on following God. And Jesus Christ was the answered Messiah that their scriptures prophesied. And into all the world was the blessing of Abraham and why they, they go. For their spiritual blessing is rooted not only in the gospel message, but in their own actual cultural heritage. And so where they may not have the resources to put the bread on the table, they have the spiritual wealth of knowledge that could supply the Corinthians with all their future needs, that could supply the, the Corinthians with leadership and knowledge of the scriptures in a way that they had no access because they had no roots there. It was the branch of the olive tree that was grafted in. But they were the original branch. And those who denied that Jesus was a Christ, they were cut away. And those strong branches that followed the Messiah, Messiah message, they were the ones who had this wealth of resources that they could share with this church in Corinth. But it doesn't matter what their promises were in the past. It doesn't matter what spiritual resources that the church in Jerusalem offered. All that matters was verse 9. Verse 9, over and over you need to remember this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the gospel message. When we get our own arguments out of the way, when we get our budget set aside and we focus solely on the reason that we have gathered, and that reason is Jesus Christ, who was God King, who gave it up, became the son of a carpenter, and who lived an earthly life to perfection to show us how that we could live and who freely gave it up to be crucified on that cross, all for your sake, as the perfect sacrifice, the one that would end sacrifices for all time. But in his death, in his poverty, he was given something so much more. For he was raised to walk a new life to give us eternity so all who believed in him and followed him as our Lord and Savior might thrive. It didn't matter if you were like Paul. We can all look at the Bible and say, Paul was a good example. Later in this letter, he will tell you, I was shipwrecked so many times. I was beaten by rods. I was given lashes, 40 lashes minus one. You know what that was about? There was still one left in them if you walked the line. If you stumbled, they had one more for you. Is that how you want to live your life? But the Apostle Paul, for the sake of the gospel, experienced these things. He said, I was left to the elements when it was cold. He was homeless. He was destitute. But the Lord supplied his every need, and he learned how to live. He learned how to live in plenty. He learned how to live with not so much. It was by the grace of God that he was sustained. For in him he saw that through weakness, Christ was elevated far more. Because it wasn't his persuasive speeches that he gave 
that made the gospel have why. It wasn't the incredible power of his ability to heal and lift others up that he gained strength. But it was in his weakness that the gospel flourished. It was in these shipwrecks and the, these beatings and these lashes and everything else that he was made strong. You know, Christians in America today will say we're being persecuted because the society at large is culturally going against the morals of Christianity. Our culture today wants to eradicate us because it makes them feel bad. And for that, we feel persecuted. That's not what persecution means. Persecute is not the fact that people just don't like you. Persecuting is what Paul lived, is what gave his strength, because in that weakness, when he was not only disowned by society, but when he was beaten by society, he got up and he proclaimed the message of Christ crucified to that same audience. That is what persecution looks like. And so today, as he puts pen to paper and he commends Titus as a faithful servant of the gospel, he reminds the Corinthians of their promise. He reminds them of others who shouldn't have been able to give but gave generously above their means. That means they had to sacrifice to make this offering. They didn't just give out of the abundance that they had. They sacrificed to be able to contribute. And he gives them the example of Christ. But we see in the scripture that giving is a sliding scale. It says, what is acceptable is that according to what you have, not what you don't have. You know, in church we teach the principle of giving 10%. We get a little bit of that out of the Old Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament it says you need to give 10% of your income to the Lord first. But we teach that. Why? Because we are modern thinkers. We think with budgets and business meetings in mind. And so it is easier for our brains to wrap ourselves around 10% of an income because the first proceeds should be the Lord's because He's given us everything. 100% of our income was His. And He's allowed us to be the stewards. And so 10% is a sliding scale, isn't it? If you make 250 grand, 10% is a little bit higher than if you make $250. But it's something to say when you only make $250 that you give your 10% and you trust that God will supply your needs. But 10% is again a principle, not a command. As Paul reminded the Corinthians that I don't tell you this as a command. But I tell you of the Macedonians who were generous even though they didn't really have a pot to pee in. Says it. Does, right there. <laughs> they were generous when they had no means. You have means. You had promised before when you were on fire for the Spirit. On fire for God. I'm sending Titus so that he may square things away so that when we come, he'll later say that we won't be embarrassed, that we won't be humiliated because we have bragged on you so much. In chapter 9, that's what he says, is that I have bragged on you to everyone that I've met. I told him about your faith and how you're on fire for God and how you live generously by the grace that God has given you. 
He says, don't make me ashamed when we show it. You don't have what I told everyone you were already ready to do. So Paul put his name on the line for the faith that he saw in these people. And he reminds them of this. In chapter 9, he says something that I think each of us must wrap our heads around with. For it's not about being forced or coerced to give. But in chapter 9, verse 7, he tells us this. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You may be thinking to yourself, you know, you don't know what kind of budget I have. You don't know the bills that I have. True, 10% may be out of bounds for you today. You may not be able to write a check first to the church and then to everything else because you got creditors calling you, all this kind of stuff. But I do know this. If you set your sights on Jesus Christ, and then you look at your finances, and you look at the way you spend your money, the two may not align. And if you can't give 10% today, but you are on fire for God, and you're looking at your budgets on what you can sacrificially give, maybe 1% is a sacrifice right now in your, your position. But I guarantee you, if you do that 1%, if you lived in a way that showed others that you were willing to give even though you don't have the resources to give because you owe Tom, Dick, and Harry and his cousin Ed a lot of money. And you live by the means that Christ has given you, that God has benefited you, and you show your talents and you put the Lord first. Your finances will slowly, over time, correct themselves. And that one time that when 1% of your income was a struggle... 10% will be like a drop in a bucket. For those who sow generously, also reap generously. So each and, of, each and every one of us have to look at this in perspective for where we're at today. Because as we are called to the gospel, we are called from different stations in life. And we want to grow in our faith. Sometimes it means taking our credit cards and chopping them up and setting them on fire. Sometimes it means looking at our resource and say, well, 10% is just not enough this month. The Lord has truly blessed me, so I want to bless others. I want to give 20%. I've known of some people who have lived a reverse tithe. Have you ever heard of that? They live on 10% of their income and give 90% of it away. Now, that is an incredible amount of faith. That is from somebody who has been blessed in life and wants to bless others with the resources. But if money is still tight, follow the example of those Macedonians. First, give yourself wholeheartedly to what the Lord has called. For it is out of the resources that he has given us, he calls us first and foremost. And that is giving ourselves to the Lord. And then out of that, just see how things go. But if you can't give with a joyful heart, then don't give at all. But if your heart is not joyful when it comes to your pocketbook, you may need to first look on how you give yourself to the Lord. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the scriptures. We are so thankful for the examples that you have given us from your Apostle Paul who led the early church 
to the examples of the Corinthians on how life can be difficult. Yet you walk with us through every bit of that journey, through the faith of the Macedonians, who out of their love for you and by your will were able to share that grace that they had received with others. Lord, give us a cheerful heart in all circumstances. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have been struggling with a decision to put Christ first in your life, and today's a day you just want to come and tell the world about it, that you have found Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to share everyone the joy that you have found, please come forward. Maybe you've been visiting this church for some time, and today's a day that you no longer want to sit on the edge, but you want to be in the middle of this craziness that we call a church home. Please come forward. Or if you're in simply need of prayer, come forward at this time. Thank you.